Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. I'm Sarah Germaine Lilly, and I'm here today with J.W. Walker, founding member of Gays Against Guns, gun violence prevention activist. And we are here in the context of the nonstop horrific violence that we experience as Americans. Jay. Good afternoon, Sarah. Um, Yeah, today we're going to talk about the intersection between gun violence and, um, you know, race, um, privilege, really the patriarchy, the way that the United States has functioned in some ways supported sort of violent gun-based terrorism. This interview with Professor Carol Anderson on her book, The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America, was recorded the day before a hateful homophobe stormed into Club Q in Colorado Springs, killing five and injuring 18 members of our LGBTQIA2S plus community. At one point during the interview, Radio Gag producer Sarah Germaine Lilly, Professor Anderson, and I discussed a long history of violent, politically motivated white people being coddled, even protected by our criminal justice system, dating back to Shays' Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion in the late 1700s. In both of those cases, Although thousands participated in these violent armed insurrections against taxes, very few were actually indicted, tried, and convicted. All were pardoned in short work. That behavior toward white violent actors has been a recurrent theme throughout American history. From the Ku Klux Klan and lynch mobs between 1870 and 1950, to the violent white mobs that destroyed so many black communities like Rosewood, Florida and Greenwood, Oklahoma in the first half of the 20th century, to the false accuser and killers of Emmett Till, to Ruby Ridge, to the Bundy Ranch, to Dylan Roof's hamburger run, to the armed state house sieges against COVID-19 rules, to the failure to adequately marshal law enforcement and National Guard in advance of January 6, 2021, in the face of a widely known threat, and despite pleas from members of Congress, American law enforcement has a long history of coddling, excusing, and ignoring threats and acts of political and racial violence by white men. And our justice system has an equally long history of failing to mete out serious consequences when trials do actually take place. In Colorado Springs, we've seen a repetition of this paradigm, one that cost five lives and terrorized a community and the wider nation's LGBTQIA2S plus communities. In June of 2021, Colorado law enforcement had the opportunity to remove this person from our streets, get him any mental health help that might have been needed, and ensure that he could not legally access guns through the state's red flag laws. Instead, 
because his family chose not to press charges, the law enforcement apparatus of Colorado failed their communities by dropping the matter and sealing his record, even though he was not a juvenile at the time. Whether or not the fact that grandfather, Randy Vocal, is a member of the California State Assembly and a pro-insurrectionist maggot had anything to do with that kid glove treatment remains to be seen. But the fact remains that there is a possibility that these queer and allied lives might never have been put in jeopardy Saturday night had Colorado law enforcement treated this person as the threat to public safety he clearly was in June of 2021. Now, compare all of that to the law enforcement response to and or preparation for 18th and 19th century slave rebellions, unarmed, nonviolent civil rights marches of the 1950s and 60s, the MOVE Collective in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1985, legal asylum seekers fleeing the horrors caused by American drug hunger and arms sales in countries in Central America, Black Lives Matter protests, and black and brown people holding everything from wallets to phones to BB guns in stores who have committed no crimes. The disparity and disproportionality are clear. If our law enforcement continues to coddle racist, homophobic, and violently disordered individuals just because they are white, they are ensuring that everyone in this country who is not a straight, white, Christian, American-born male remains under threat. Welcome back to our conversation with Professor Carol Anderson and J.W. Walker. If you'd like to hear more about the history, uh, please check out podcast part one called um, Who's Right to Bear Arms? Part one. So please check that out. And now give a listen to Professor Carol Anderson, uh, J.W. Walker, and myself in conversation. But when you think about this Bill of Rights, think about it this way. You've got the right to free speech. You've got the right to freedom of and freedom from religion. You've got the right to association. You've got the right not to be illegally searched and seized. You've got the right to a speedy and fair trial. You've got the right not to have cruel and unusual punishment. And then there's this right to a well-regulated militia for the security of a free state. That thing is an outlier. That thing sitting in the Bill of Rights is the bribe to the South to not scuttle the Constitution. And and what so sitting in the Bill of Rights is basically the right to this well-regulated militia to control Black people. So that whole thing about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, sitting in the Bill of Rights is like, with, with the big asterisk, that doesn't mean Black folk. Yeah. That's exactly it. You know, we've seen like the organization of the NRA and how it has moved and adapted itself depending upon the times. You know, it was all for, you know, a gun in every household, you know, everybody had to have a gun, 
then the Black Panthers march uh, in California with their arms, and then suddenly they back away from that, and you know for for a little while, and you know go go back to sort of being about gun control. But then the firearms industry decides that they need to make money because not enough people live on farms, people living in cities, they don't feel like they need guns, and so then the NRA then becomes you know we want guns everywhere, we want everybody to have a gun, etc. I'd just love to hear you, um, you know, talk about that, you know, as it re- as it relates to race, how the, the sort of organized gun lobby functions within the context of race. Ooh, Ooh how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, so, you know, one of the, the first instances, not the first instance, one of, well, the first instance of the NRA going, yeah, maybe we need to control some of these guns was during the 1930s when you had these gangsters, these ethnic gangsters who had these weapons. And this was like, whoo, okay, we need some kind of gun, some kind of law. Yeah, we cool with that. Um, and then they're like, yeah. Then... Oh my gosh, the Black Panthers dealing with massive police violence against the Black community. Police violence that is unchecked, where no one is held accountable for the slaughter of Black folk. Um, And so they're like, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to police the police. Um, And so Huey Newton and Bobby Seale and them, they knew the law. They knew how how close they had to stand to the police, how far away they had to stand from the police. They knew what kinds of guns to carry. They knew where how the bullet had to be in the chamber and not in the chamber. I mean, they knew all the things about what loaded mean. They they knew they knew not to have sawed off shotguns uh, because that was illegal. They knew not to point it at anybody because that was illegal. So they knew how to carry the guns. They knew uh, what kinds of guns to carry, and they knew how far away from the police they had to be. And so as they would roll up when the cops are arresting somebody or hassling somebody, the Oakland PD did not like it, did not like it at all. And so they would try to rouse the the Black Panthers. And then then they're complaining. They're like, every time we try to get them, they're not doing anything illegal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that shouldn't be a problem for the cops, right? They're illegal. And so we what they're doing illegal. So they run to... Um, Don Mulford, who is an assemblyman in the California legislature. And they're like, this is a problem. And Mulford, who is a conservative, was like, oh yeah, this is a problem. Uh, and and starts crafting with the help of a, a representative from the NRA, what's known as the Mulford Act. Mm-hmm. And it dealt with the open carrying of weapons in California. What it really dealt with, you know, they tried to say, oh, this isn't racialized. No, not at all. You know, this deals with the KKK. How many Klansmen were in California? <laughs> so mm-hmm. this 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 really wasn't about uh, you know, this is this is this was really about they were really clear in their internal memos. This is about the Black Panthers. This is about the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers are a problem. Um, and so they craft this law that makes the way that the Black Panthers dealt with issues of self-defense in the black community, policing the police, illegal. And so the NRA was there. And then part of what you see is the NRA is, is kind of milk toast for the early 70s. And then there is the revolt of the right wing within the NRA. And that revolt of the right wing then hooks it up 
with um, the right wing in American politics, and it hooks it up with clearly with gun manufacturers, and you start seeing the the guns, guns. They 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 cut off the first part of the Second Amendment. And it becomes about the individual right to bear arms, right? So the individual right to bear arms. And so it sounds like, ooh, this is all about self-defense. But let's look at what the NRA has supported. So for instance, it has supported stand your ground laws, right? That this is this is really, and it came out of the first law came out of Florida. Um, and you know, and it's, it's about you shouldn't have to retreat if you perceive a danger. Okay. When black is the default perception of danger in American right. society. And so we see it in the data. What we see is that when whites kill black people under stand your ground, they are 10 times more likely to walk under justifiable than when blacks kill whites. Mm -hmm. Um let's you know one of the the to me one of the the key cases was the Trayvon Martin case in Florida now George Zimmerman didn't use stand your ground as his defense but the police when they investigated and I'm putting that in quotes initially investigated they had stand your ground all dancing in their head. And so they didn't knock on doors to figure out whether Trayvon was supposed to be there or not. They took George Zimmerman's word for it. And think about this. You got a grown man who has a loaded gun and he stalks an unarmed teenager through the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He puts a bullet in the chest of that unarmed teenager and he hollers self-defense. And you get the legal system, the justice system saying yes. And you see what we call the thugification of Trayvon Martin. Um, he becomes taller, bigger, heavier. Um, darker, don't forget darker. Darker, oh yes, <laughs> darker. I mean, just, just, I mean, it was just, and, and you get these really crazy justifications. He wore a hoodie. It was raining. Come on, man. It was raining. And and so and yeah. And and so when the judge said the judge's instructions to the jury were basically stand your ground instructions. So they didn't deal with when the 911 operator told Zimmerman, oh no, are you following him? No, you need not to be doing that. Um, they didn't deal with the fact that he was the one who instigated contact. What they dealt with was, was Zimmerman afraid? Did he have a right to feel like he was threatened? So that moment of contact that Zimmerman instigated with a loaded weapon against an unarmed child. Yeah. And by by casting Trayvon as big, thug, dangerous, druggy, criminal, juvenile, delinquent, they 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 conjured up all of the the threats that we saw back in the 17th century of black as criminal, 
Black as inherently dangerous, Black as inherently violent, Black as something to be feared. Yeah. Um, so that's where you see the NRA standing their ground on stand your ground. And that's the, that's the, these, these two sort of motivating factors, right? It's the, it's the, 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 the criminalization, the demonification of, 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 of black men, of black skin, of black existence, and the exaltation of white fear, you know, yes. like the, the John Crawford situation in the Walmart where he's holding the BB gun that's a piece of merchandise and 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 someone gets scared and calls 911 I'll let you take it from here yeah okay so John Crawford in a basically in a Dayton area Ohio Walmart Ohio is an op um an, uh, an open carry state right so you can carry a gun in Ohio so he is in Walmart that sells guns in an open carry state. So just needed to set that 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 those that condition there, that context. And he picks up, he's on the phone um, talking about what kind of ingredients he needs to make some s'mores for the dinner tonight. And he picks up a BB gun that is on the shelf, a toy BB gun. And he's carrying it around the store. Well, there is a white couple behind them, behind him. And they're like, oh, we're so afraid. He's got a gun. And they start calling 911, talking about he's pointing the gun at children. He's waving it around. And so the cops rush in thinking they're in an active shooter situation. And they tell him, drop the gun. He's still on the phone. He's got his back to them. And so he he doesn't think he has a gun, obviously, right? Um, because it's a BB gun. It's a it's a BB gun, and they shoot him. John Crawford dies right there. Now the folks who called the police when they went back and looked at the footage, because you know Walmart's got cameras everywhere. When they looked at the footage. They saw that none of the stuff that the people who called in talking about on at everybody, he's pointing it at children. None of that happened. None of that happened. But they weren't charged with anything. And in fact, the man who called in, he was like, well, he shouldn't have been pointing that gun. Who, you know, this is what happens when the cops come. I mean, he was so like, it was the same kind of justification like Trayvon got. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he should have just answered George Zimmerman's questions. And that dismiss and that same dismissal of the worth of a black man's life. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and then let's take Tamir Rice again mm. in Ohio, open carry. He traded his cell phone for a toy Colt 45. Um, the, the toy pistol didn't have the orange tip on it that says, hey, I'm a toy. But again, this is an open carry state. And so he's in the park by himself playing with this toy pistol. And somebody calls in to 911 saying, and there's somebody in the park with a gun. It may be a toy. And he may be a juvenile, but toy and juvenile don't come through to the officers. They just hear there's somebody in the park. 
the cops roll up and they stop their car within a few yards of Trayvon, within three, I'm sorry, of, of Tamir, within three seconds, he is gunned down. Now, the story that the cops told was that they were 20 some yards away or so, and that they, they, they gave him instructions three times, lower your weapon, drop your gun, drop your gun. And they said, and then he reached behind like he was pulling it out and they feared for their lives. And so then they had to shoot. Well, in three seconds, you cannot say, drop your gun, drop your gun, drop your gun. And so they lied. Mm -hmm. There were no consequences for that. And instead, what you saw was that the uh, DA was, oh, well, you know, there's something wrong with his parents um, because, you know, they're trying to monetize on this. So the devaluation of Black life. Um, and when the cops called it in, they were like, uh, Black male, uh, maybe around 20 He's a 12-year-old child. And so mm -hmm. it also shows, and I mean, the, there's incredible work done on this, research done on this, that Black children don't have a childhood. Or adultified, yes. They become, they, they, they become, they're adultified um, early on. Um, and so a 12-year-old child playing in the park with a toy gun, and you had folks in the New York Times in the, uh, in the comment section, whoo, who were like, well, what kind of parents does he have that would give a child a toy gun? You know, there's something wrong with his parenting if they thought that this was an appropriate toy. As if toy guns haven't been an industry in this country as long as toys have been manufactured. <laughs> as, as if bad parenting could somehow uh, justify or deliver a death sentence. Yes. Anyone. Just, it's just, but again, it is what I call the narrative of Black pathology, yeah. um, that there's just something wrong with Black people. You know, if Black people would just fill in the blank, um, then they would be able to live. If they would just, then they would be able to, mm -hmm. right? And 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 so if, if Tamir Rice, a child playing in the park, by himself, because the other part of the open carry law says that you can carry this weapon as long as A, you're not pointing it at anybody, and as long as you're not threatening anybody. There was nobody in the park. Right. So he wasn't threatening anybody. But the cops rolled up, they saw a, a somebody black, they thought he was 20 years old, and he deserved to die. It's horrible and over and over and over again why are we dragging centuries of this kind of horrific and barbaric application of law into into our modern lives but we we just have a few minutes i know we all have things to go on to and i wonder if you have time to comment on the issue of gun violence and um, did you feel that it impacted this uh, recent election and, and our direction going forward? I think that um, the issue of gun violence in America is that it becomes, it becomes so racialized so that you hear about all of this black on black crime 
But what you don't hear is about white on white crime, because again, we need the narrative of black pathology, the narrative of black violence. Over 80% of African-Americans are killed by African-Americans. Over 80% of whites are killed by whites. <laughs> but you don't hear about white on white crime. Why? Um, because the, the, there's political gold in the issue of crime and targeting it. So let me back up. So think about Uvalde and that horrible massacre down in Texas at, at Robb Elementary School. One of the first things out of Greg Abbott's mouth, the, the governor was, well, you know, all of this gun control doesn't work because just look at Chicago. They kill more folks there than we have killed, mm -hmm. you know, on a weekend than we have killed in our schools. Chicago? So Chicago becomes like the dog whistle for black on black crime. And it's the way that you subvert issues about gun safety laws. And we had, and so we did have a major gun safety legislation, the first in 30 years passed. But notice that what it didn't deal with were semi-automatic weapons. We didn't have the, the, the banning of semi-automatic weapons. And remember, a semi-automatic weapon was what was used in the slaughter in Buffalo, where um, he went hunting for Black people under the Great Replacement Theory. Mm -hmm. So gun violence is prominent in the United States. I argue that we don't deal with it because of the power of anti-Blackness, because we see Black as the default threat, as the preeminent threat. So we're willing to have guns flood our communities, and we're willing to be unsafe in our schools and have our children do shooter drills. We're willing to be unsafe in our grocery stores. We're willing to be unsafe in our churches, in our synagogues, um, in our mosque. We're willing to be unsafe um, at our workplaces. We're willing to be unsafe on the road. We're willing to be unsafe in our recreational facilities as long as we can get our guns. And so I'm gonna close with a study done by Jonathan Metzl, who wrote Dying of Whiteness or For Whiteness. And he did a study where folks who in rural Missouri, uh, whites who had experienced gun violence in their families, um, and they were in a support group and they're talking. And so the issue of gun safety laws came up and they were like, oh, absolutely not because those people from St. Louis will come down here and try to take everything that we have. Our guns are the only things that protect us. We will be basically left defenseless. And when I heard that, what I heard was George Mason and Patrick Henry mm -hmm. at the ratification convention in Virginia talking about if we don't have our guns in our militia, we will be left defenseless. Same old story, same old song and dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so powerful, Professor Anderson. I'm going to let you go because I want you to just enjoy the weekend, rest up, and get ready for the next fight because we can't do without heroes like you. Thank you so much for your work. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions. Sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com. That's G-A-G sign up at gmail.com. That's where you go. Shoot an email to gagsignup at gmail.com and we'll respond and you can find out much more about the events going on. Please remember that all are welcome to come to gag meetings. It's time to end our show. Now, don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And we're going to leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Have a great and safe day. Oh, yeah, we'll tell you something. We got you on the run. If you are an abuser, we want to take your gun, we want to take your gun, we want to take your gun, oh please, say to me, you've had your background checked, cause when you fail your test, well what do you We're gonna take your gun!